Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, which takes you through Insightia's two magazines, Activist Insight Monthly and Proxy Monthly. I'm Kieran Paul, and as usual, I am joined by the editors of each publication, Jason Booth and Rebecca Sherritt. However, what makes this episode different is October's Proxy Monthly is in fact our proxy voting annual review. So Rebecca will be telling us about that. Proxy Monthly will return in a magazine format in November. Also, this month is quite a special one for us here at Insightia. It marks a year since Activist Insight and sister company Proxy Insight merged to form Insightia. I just thought I'd congratulate all of my colleagues for a fantastic year of data, magazines and reports. Plus, of course, podcasts. Getting into October's Activist Insight Monthly, we ask whether high-profile proxy vote losses by Starboard Value, Legion and Ancora are the latest signs that activists need to step up their game as management teams improve their defensive skills. We profile the relatively young Outer Bridge whose strategy harkens back to a more traditional long-term activist value play. Plus, we analyse why speciality chemical company Exalta Coating looks vulnerable to activism and how why, with a stock market dominated by coal mining and other resources, Australia is only now embracing the ESG investment trend. And much more. We'll hear from Rebecca later about the proxy voting annual review, but first, Jason. So Jason, can you tell us more about these signs of activists needing to raise their game? The signs are quite simple in that you've seen three of the leading activists in the game, Darbert Value, Legion and Ancora, all lose high-profile votes so far this year. In each case, it was the first time they had lost a contested vote in years, or in Darwood's case, since 2013. So that alone just shows that whether it's coincidence or whether it's related to a particular issue that applies to all of those campaigns, it shows that companies, at the very least, are learning how to put up strong fights and, in particular, are bringing in specialized defense teams. I mean, a good comparison is the fight at ExxonMobil at engine number one managed to win board seats despite having a minuscule position in the energy giant. But one of the key differences is that Exxon relied on its existing legal and public relations council to fight this fight for them, which was something that they were not really prepared to do as they had little experience in that area. And the fact that they did decide to fight like that maybe was an indicator that, you know, what the actors were saying, that they were not willing to change or, or listen to shareholders or take them seriously. Whereas at the other fights I just mentioned, at Box, which defeated Starboard, at Blue Cora, which defeated Ancora, and Genesco, which defeated Legion, all three brought in, you know, dedicated legal teams and communications teams with a lot of experience in shareholder activism defense and that preparation and willingness to you know, fight campaigns resulted in the in management uh, defeating some of the best 
activists out there. And I mentioned earlier about Outerbridge being relatively young. It's taking quite an old school style of long term activism. Why do you think that is? Yeah, Outerbridge is an interesting firm. It's a relatively new firm founded in 2015, headed by a young, uh, youthful investor by the name of Rory Wallace. He pursues what you might call you know, a, a long-term turnaround strategy, where an activist will find a company that is undervalued because it's had a lot of structural issues, maybe has been focusing on the wrong part of its business, and will take a stake and will try to work with the management to get them to refocus and, on what could be a more lucrative and stronger growing part of their business. And applying activism and public activism as a catalyst at the beginning stages, maybe, or later down the road in order to convince them and elicit support from other shareholders to help convince management to make the changes needed. So they've been really successful. Uh, they made a significant investment in Barnes & Noble Education, which was spun out of the bookstore chain Barnes & Noble several years ago. Barnes & Noble Education focused on running bookshops and selling or renting books to students in universities. Now, this is something that had long been a pretty stale commodity business and one that was in decline given that students were increasingly looking online. So the company with Outerbridge's strong support and recommendations has transformed itself into a more digital platform where students can rent books and has also made deals with branded apparel companies such as uh, Lids, which is interesting because it was sold off. Lids was spun up by Genesco, which was recently in a proxy fight with Legion. But by branded apparel, I mean, you know, you can now go into Barnes & Noble shops and buy hats and T-shirts and jackets and bags with logos of the universities and the like. And Barnes & Noble Education gets a part of that business. So as a result, the stock has risen dramatically in the last year, which has benefited Outerbridge, obviously. And finally, on the magazine, we've all been following developments at British supermarket Morrison's. How do we cover it in October's magazine? Well, first of all, we look at how the deal has gone through the auction process, which in itself is fairly rare. Apparently, it's only the 12th auction process since 2005. It has allowed the private equity firm Clayton, Dublier and Rice, CDNR, to come out on top on the bidding war. But then we look at the fact that this deal isn't actually over yet. Still, despite having won the auction process, they still have to take the deal to shareholders to get their approval. And it's uncertain what level of support they'll actually get. There's been a good deal of activist skepticism about the deal from the get-go, whether based on price or even the need that Morrison's to actually go private. So we'll be looking at investors like Legal in General and Silchester International, which is their largest shareholder, to see how they respond to the actual price. Another interesting side note, which is something that investors may be worried about, is whether the bids will carry in regulatory risk that may present obstacles in far as getting the deal approved by regulators. That's something that we saw in the United States with the battle over control of Kansas City Railroad. A approved deal actually was shot down by the regulator, resulting in an entirely new fight for it. Now, 
me and Jason will look at the latest in-depth article on Activist Insight Online, which explores the US Securities and Exchange Commission's approval of NASDAQ's proposed rule to require each of its listed companies to have at least two diverse board members. It's starting a two to five year countdown for companies listing on the exchange to comply, depending on their size, or for them to explain why they are opting out. So Jason, can you tell us more about that? Well, yes, it's the first time this particular issue has gone to, so to speak, federal level, which would include all US listed companies, which is significant. And like many regulatory developments in the United States, this one was pioneered in California, which has seen more of a demand for uh, inclusion of diversity in the boards going back quite a while. So companies based in California are already working to comply by similar standards by the end of 2022, at which point California boards that have between four and nine members must also include two directors from unrepresented communities, which includes the LGBTQ community. So it'll be interesting to see how companies respond to this. You know, there's been quite a lot of complaints that some major U.S. companies have been very vocal in support of diversity, doing marketing surrounding Gay Pride Month and the like, but then at the same time giving donations to politicians who are vocally anti-diversity, you know, which is often called pinkwashing over here. So it'll be interesting to see how this new mandate or proposed mandate from the SEC will be accepted by some of the bigger companies in this country. I am Patrick Gatson of Vincent & Elkins, and we sponsored Insidia's M&A Activism Special Report, which you can read for free. And now it's time for a rather different proxy corner. So welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Kieran. Yes, we have an extra special episode this week. So tell us, why have we put this report together now? We decided to produce this new report to offer our readers an in-depth analysis of the various voting trends and engagement strategies of institutional investors from the 2021 proxy season. Our report is unique in that it draws upon the many different data sets the Proxy Insight module has to offer to our clients, including information on investor voting, voting rationales, SEC no action letters, and proxy advisor recommendations, to name just a few. This report expands on preliminary data we released back in September in our proxy voting season snapshot as well as the more than 24.9 million votes our data team has imported onto the system from the recent proxy season. The voting review is an analysis of all these filings and datasets, highlighting how investors have taken voting action to communicate with companies on critical issues like diversity, executive compensation, and director elections. This report showcases how the Proxy Insight Online platform has rapidly evolved over the past 12 months and we think it will be an invaluable read for corporate governance professionals who want to better understand investor attitudes on a range of important issues. And what are the exciting topics and trends that the voting review explores? Yeah, we did pick up some interesting trends from this proxy season. The report features dedicated sections on a variety of topics related to corporate governance and proxy voting, including political spending disclosure, human rights, sustainability, and the voting trends of leading institutional investors like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. It won't just be limited to shareholder voting either. The report also explores how investors are engaging with companies outside of annual meetings, outlining their expectations on issues like diversity disclosure and climate reporting through the use of proxy contests 
open letters and updated proxy voting guidelines. The report has something for everyone, with an international focus that provides comprehensive data on voting trends not just in the US, but also Europe and the Asia-Pacific, so it's truly global in scope. And lastly, Rebecca, on the report, it also features exclusive insights from experts in the corporate governance sector. So what do they tell us? Yeah, it's really great to have them involved. The report features interviews from both the Council of Institutional Investors and the Society for Corporate Governance, which are leading institutions in the responsible investment space. Both the Council and the Society share with us their thoughts on investor voting trends, the Securities and Exchange Commission's upcoming policy changes relating both to ESG and the filing of shareholder proposals, and the impact of the pandemic on shaping investor engagements and priorities. We're also very excited to feature a variety of special reports from our sponsors, including Okapi Partners and Sidley Austin, sharing their thoughts on emerging trends from the recent proxy season. This will be the first of many proxy reports, joining Insight's roster of popular activist insight reports. So make sure to keep your eyes peeled for the report when it's released later this month. Thank you, Rebecca. And there's a reason why that was quite short and sharp, because you can hear a detailed analysis of the trends from the report in a separate episode with me and Rebecca out very soon. So look out for that. As for today's episode, we've reached the end. So make sure you subscribe to each magazine by emailing subscriptions at insightia.com and join the conversation by using the hashtag ActivistInsightPodcast on Twitter. And also, please rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using because that really does help others, just like you, access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you soon.